Saul hits rock bottom as darkness envelops his thoughts and deeds. Death is the fear, and the witch only confirms his death sentence. On The Bible Brief. The Bible Brief is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Check out our website today at BibleLit.org. Samuel is dead. The last judge of Israel lived his final days in his hometown of Ramah, and upon his death, all Israel gathered to mourn for their former leader. The great prophet Samuel had told the people the words of Yahweh, whether good or bad, and the people honored his faithfulness by gathering for his burial. Samuel had inaugurated a new era in Israel. Instead of judges, the people demanded a king to be like the other nations. And Samuel obeyed God as he anointed King Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. But Samuel hadn't merely anointed Saul. After God's rejection of the king due to his disobedience, Samuel also anointed the next king of Israel. He had anointed David from the tribe of Judah, a man after God's own heart, a man still on the run. The peace achieved with Saul at En Gedi was short-lived. Rather than kill Saul when he had had the chance, David was merciful to Saul and spared his life. Saul, for his part, was contrite at first. He realized his folly in pursuing David and appeared to finally understand that this next king was not his enemy. The two men even spoke with one another as a father and son. It was a moment of tenderness that the two perhaps had never had up to that point in their lives. That moment, however, soon vanished from the mind of Saul. For some reason, he had a change of mind, as if there were grooves worn into his thought patterns that made him turn back to his default actions. Despite the reconciliation at En Gedi, Saul soon sought the life of David again, and Saul heard that David was somewhere in the wilderness in the southern portion of the land of Canaan. We read this in 1 Samuel chapter 26, starting in verse 3. When David saw that Samuel came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, with Abner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment, while the army was encamped around him. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now take the spear at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. The two men, David and Abishai, had snuck into the camp of Saul in the middle of the night and it appears that David's purpose was similar to what occurred at En Gedi. 
David wanted to find a way to prove that he wasn't trying to kill Saul, and that he wouldn't hurt Saul if given the chance. At this point, it doesn't even appear that David believes reconciliation is possible. Instead, he expresses that he's simply waiting for Yahweh to deal with Saul. David knows that he shouldn't take vengeance, and instead leaves it to God, especially because Saul is God's anointed king. That said, he doesn't miss his opportunity to taunt Abner for his lack of protection of the king. We read, Then David went over to the other side, and stood far off on the top of the hill, with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. Now see where the king's spear is, and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed." Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. For the second time, David spared Saul's life when he was given opportunity to take it by his own hand. And for a second time, Saul expresses regret and contrition for seeking the life of David. But note the activity of the Lord here. The only place where we see God explicitly active in this whole ordeal is ensuring that Saul and his men remain in a deep sleep while David and Abishai are sneaking through the camp. It's as if God was testing David, not just at En Gedi, but here in the wilderness. Would David take matters of vengeance into his own hands? Or would he wait for God to deliver him in a different way? David waited. Saul repented. And the two men went their separate ways. David, however, began to understand that Saul wouldn't actually be changing anytime soon. Those grooves of delusion were too deeply set in Saul's mind. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the six hundred men who were with him, to Achish, king of Gath. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. In a repeat of an earlier adventure into Philistia, David flees Saul to Achish the king. This time, however, he doesn't come alone, and he isn't acting like a madman. Instead, 
he brings 600 men with him along with all their wives and children. Probably a group of well over a thousand people, all together coming to Gath. Now Achish apparently understood that this wasn't some sort of invasion by Israel. He probably knew from his own reconnaissance that David and his men were fleeing from Saul and figured that he could make a makeshift alliance with David. Recently, the Philistines had made a practice of invading cities in Israel when Saul was away on a mission to find David. Achish probably saw David as a rebel to Israel and a natural, though tentative, ally. A sort of relationship that said, The enemy of my enemy is my friend. A thousand people, however, were difficult to suddenly accommodate in Gath. So Achish allows David to relocate all his people. They relocate to a city within the Philistine-controlled area of Canaan, a city called Ziklag. It was a country town where David could rule his band of outcast followers. Ziklag would be home to these thousand people for over a year, and David would conduct raids against other enemies to Israel from this temporary home base. On reporting his activities to Achish, however, David would deceptively indicate that he'd been doing raids against Israel itself. The king of Philistia was very happy with this arrangement. He believed David was being a thorn in the side of Saul doing raids upon Israel, and Achish gained new confidence in his war against this nation that he'd been battling for much of his life. So much confidence that he decides to launch a new offensive against the forces of Saul, with David at his side. We read this in verse 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war, to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. This confidence of Achish had put David in a precarious position. Would he really go up with the Philistines? Would he fight against his own people? Would he take up a sword against Saul? Against Jonathan? Soon, we see Saul's perspective of this developing Philistine offensive. By this point, the Philistines had moved into a large, flat valley in Israel, below a small group of hills where Saul and his forces were camped. Saul sees the large Philistine force, and he begins trembling with fear. We read this in chapter 28, starting in verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him, and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams, or by Urim, or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. Saul's fear of this large Philistine force drives him to appeal to Yahweh for help. But Yahweh is silent. And like the fool that Saul has proven to be, he takes matters into his own hands. He decides to consult a witch, a medium who is said to be able to contact the dead. Now Saul had previously commanded that the witches and necromancers should be expelled from the land, which was good on its face, but was actually a form of disobedience. According to the law given through Moses, these people were to be stoned to death rather than allowed to live. 
they had unholy and spiritually corrupt practices that should not be done, and Israel was to purge itself of those who did these dark spiritual practices. Saul had commanded their removal, but now he was seeking the aid of one of these witches, the witch at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night and said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a god coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. After Saul blasphemously swears by Yahweh that no harm will come to the witch, the woman is apparently successful where she hadn't been before. In what looks to be shock, she sees the prophet Samuel's form rising up and she cries out. Immediately, she realizes she's been speaking to the king himself. The witch of Endor discovers that more is happening here than she understands. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand, and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, and did not carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Saul's foray into dark spiritual matters does nothing but bring him further darkness. Clearly perturbed Samuel says that God has rejected Saul because of Saul's disobedience and that the culmination of this rejection will occur in the next 24 hours. You can imagine the verbal punches hitting Saul in the stomach. 1. Israel will be given into the hand of the Philistines. 2. You will die tomorrow. 3. Your sons will die tomorrow. Saul's life, rule, and progeny will be devastated in a single day. Tomorrow, the reign of Saul will end. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023